I would encourage you to turn in your Bible to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 13. Genesis chapter 13. I want to begin reading this, the, the first uh, 13 verses here. Genesis chapter 13. So Abram went up from Egypt to the, to the Nagav. He and his wife and all of the, that belonged to him and lot with him. Now, Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and, and in gold. He went on his journey from the Negev, that would be the south country, literally what it, what it says, as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar which he had made there former, formerly. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. And the land could not sustain them while dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to remain together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abraham's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. Now the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. So Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me, nor between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for he is for we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If to the left, then I will go to the right. If to the right, then I will go to the left. Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the valley of the Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you go toward Zor, so Lot chose for himself all of the valley of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed eastward. Thus they separated from each other. Abraham settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled in the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly and sinning sinners against the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for just the joy of, of being here, the joy of seeing these kids, just singing to you. What a wonderful thing that is and a blessing that is ours to to just bring you praise. Now, Lord, as we open your word and and begin to expound it and look at it, um, may we glean things that will uh, improve our lives, that will glorify and honor you, that will magnify your glory even greater in this world. I pray for understanding. I pray for clarity. And then I I pray, Lord, that we would be able to apply these things to our life. And we pray these in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you've picked up on the fact that the focus of this passage is upon the land. It's upon land. And it's land that God is, is giving to Abram and his descendants. 
Now, it's not a purchase. Abraham's not doing anything to purchase this land, not like the Louisiana purchase, or it's not like a land grant. It's somewhat like a a land grant that you might get from a a king. If you develop the land uh, for so many years, then it will be, uh, the land will be given to you. There's, uh, there's some of that land that was in, uh, Ruthie's family, um, that, that was a land grant to this, uh, particular, uh, to great grandparents. And it, it was part of, uh, Hinton, in the Hinton area. It included the island there in Hinton. And uh, they sold it back in the 60s, and I'm thinking, wow, what would that have been worth? But it was a land grant from the King of England. It would be similar to that, but this is a gift from God to Abraham. God owned the land, it was God's land, and he is now giving it to Abram. It was a promise, if you will. It was an outright gift, nothing was done. Abraham did not deserve this, this was just something that God was pleased to do for Abram. God created it, the land. He owned the land, and now he is gifting it to Abram. Now, we see then that God is beginning to, to fulfill his promise that, he, that we find in Genesis chapter 12 in the first three verses. And I want you to go back and I want you to look at that. Genesis chapter 12, I want us to see this Abrahamic covenant. There's five elements that I want you to see here. Now, the Lord said to Abram, that's the first part, the the man. It was specifically for Abram. He says, go out from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house. This isn't for uh, Abram's uh, uh, relatives. It wasn't for for his... uh, his father or their house. This is specifically for Abram. Number two, to the land which I will show you. That's the second element of this covenant that God is making. This is land that I will show you, God says. God is choosing the land. Number three, verse two, I will make you a great nation. That's the third part of this covenant that God is making. A great nation. All of the elements of a nation, the king, the borders, the, uh, the land, the laws, the culture, and the population. The population were coming from Abram, the Jewish nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. J, uh, Abraham's name was going to be great. That was a, another element of this covenant. It was a a great name. He was going to be well known. He was going to have a good reputation. And the, the fifth element is I will bless. Uh, and so you shall be a blessing. You shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And to those who curse you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Abraham or God is going to bless the world through Abraham. And he certainly did that through Abraham's uh, descendants, his, all of his children, the, the nation of Israel, through that nation came the word of God, came the principles and wisdom to live by, and ultimately came the, the redeemer that we are saved through. Now, that's in chapter 12. God committed himself to this. Chapter 13, we're beginning to see that God is, is initiating this and he's, he's starting to, uh, to 
work. And his the first thing that he is doing then is bringing the man together with the land. Okay, that's what we're seeing in chapter 13. The name, the nation, and the blessing, that's going to come later. We're dealing with the land here. Now, there's a lot of different uses for land. Um, in Abraham's day, the, his wealth, or wealth wasn't, wasn't so much in the land like it is today, but the wealth would have been in the livestock. And we saw that early on in the passage that Abraham was, was pretty wealthy. But the land was a necessary part of that livestock. It was to sustain that livestock. But it was, uh, it was designed, land was designed to be produced, to, to be worked. Um, it wasn't to be wasted. It wasn't to be not productive. It was to be, it was to be used. It had to be gardened. It had to be cultivated and nurtured. And God had chosen this land and from this land, he is, God is going to make this land flourish and he is going to turn this land into the, the home of a, a nation through which he's going to rule the world. Now, that's pretty lofty. That makes this land pretty significant. This is a land that God has chosen. And that's the storyline. That God is giving this land, significant land, to Abram. And, and folks, we even see the significance of this. Today, this is talking about the children of Israel, Abraham's children, Abraham's descendants. And Moses is writing these things to them so that they can understand how they uh, they need to know how this transfer came to be and their right to claim this land. Because Moses and Joshua were going to lead them into this land. And they needed to know this was God giving this land to their Forefather Abraham. But, but there's another emphasis here. Uh, the overall emphasis of the passage that we see from the New Testament comes from uh, a, a passage that I, I want to read to you in Romans chapter 15. I just want to keep this in mind. In Romans chapter 15, this is the way we need to see the Old Testament. It does apply to us today. Romans chapter 15 and verse 4 says, um, For whatever was written in earlier times, that would be the Old Testament, was written for your instruction, so that through perseverance and encouragement of the Scripture, we might have hope. In, in the New Testament, Abraham was lifted up as an example of faith. And so we've been looking at a life of faith, a man who walked with God. So this isn't just about a land transfer. That, that's what Moses is communicating, and that's important. But it's also about Abraham's faith. And, and we've been looking at that for the past few weeks, that Abraham was a man of faith. Now, the question then is, in one part of this, or one way to look at this, is how did this land transfer? How did this come about? The nation of Israel needed to know that. And like I said, the, the significance of that is even felt today. There's still battles over whose land that is that Israel is living on now. And that is, uh, that is somewhat even shared in that area. But the emphasis that we want to bring to this is to see the life of faith from Abraham. 
that Abraham was set up as an example for us as a life of faith, a, a man of faith. And we, we see that God is beginning to establish his kingdom. But also we, we see that Abraham, you'll see this in this passage, his faith is much stronger than it was in chapter 12. He's a stronger, more robust faith. Now, we've, uh, we've looked at some uh, principles, and I want to review these principles about faith. Um, first of all, genuine faith is relinquishing, remember, genuine faith is relinquishing your trust in everything else. In yourself, as well as anyone else, it's relinquishing your trust in anything else. It's, it's leaning not on our own understanding, it's denying self. Number two, genuine faith deliberately, intentionally entrust in what God says, uh, or trust in what God says, His, His Word, His promises. That He is a promise-keeping God. And ultimately, we're trusting in the very character of God. Number three, genuine faith, faith trusts God even when we, what we see is different than what God promises. In Romans chapter 8, we see that it's the final outcome is what we're looking for. It's the final outcome. And then last week, we looked at genuine faith will be tested. God is going to test your faith. That's what He does. He does so to, to point out the weaknesses of our faith. That's what we saw last week. And, and Abraham failed that test, pointing out the weaknesses. But it also, he does so to, to strengthen that faith. That faith is like a muscle that needs to be exercised. So we see faith, then, is not a one-time act. For the believer in, in our context today... We, we have to understand that faith is not something, well, I did that when I was a kid. I put my faith in Jesus and I don't have to do that anymore. No, we live by faith. The Christian life is a life of faith. It's not a one-time act. That's not the way it works at all. In fact, I will go on to say is you cannot be a Christian and not be living by faith in the Word of God. If you're just ignoring the Word of God, not living by biblical principles, not living by the principles that God has established then your faith is dead, like James would say. Now, the storyline is the transfer of the, of the land, but the greater story here is Abraham's faith. Abraham's faith and the significance of this faith. Now, we pick up the story in verse uh, chapter 13, um, we, where we left off last week, and that is that Abraham was being essentially kicked out of the nation of Egypt, he's being forced out because he lied to, to Pharaoh. And he's kind of leaving with his tail between his legs here. And God had to intervene here and, and preserve the life of, of Sarah and Abram both. And, and so Abram's leaving this country and he's probably a little embarrassed. Embarrassed in front of his family, in front of Lot, his nephew and and his, uh, his uh, wife and, and the servants that were around him, he's embarrassed. That's where we pick up the story here. And so the first point, the first principle that I want to lay out here is, is has to do with Abram's remorse for leaving the country. Now, just think about that. I want you to understand that, his remorse. Now, let's look at, again, verse 1. So Abram went up 
from Egypt to the Negev. Again, that's the south country. So he's coming from Egypt, which has been in the south, uh, further south, and he's coming, moving north, and he'll go up about in the middle of the promised land. And he and his wife and all that belonged to him and lot with him. Now, can you imagine how awkward that would have been in a journey? You know, the, you know, Abraham, what did you do? Why, why did you lie to Pharaoh? I, I don't know how much we're not told that conversation. If Lot had a conversation with him or Sarah had a conversation with him. We're not told that. But we, I'm sure that it would have been awkward. He goes on in verse 2 to point out that now Abraham was very rich. And Abraham had moved from Ur of the Chaldees to Haran and accumulated wealth there. Down to Egypt, accumulated wealth there. And then Hebron and now Ai and Bethel. And through all of these journeys, he's accumulating wealth. That's what's happening in livestock, in silver and in gold. Verse 3, he went on his journey from the Nagav as far as Bethel to the place. Now, notice this. He's, he's nailing down a specific place, Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai. So he's, he's very specifically mentioning where his tent was. And even in verse 4, more specifically, to the place of the altar which he had made there formerly. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. So what's going on here? If you go back to chapter 12 and verse 8, you see this is exactly where he was before. Verse 8, Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. It had been a while since the, since Abram heard from the Lord. And maybe he's getting a little agitated and maybe a little nervous and he, and he builds this altar, calls upon the name of the Lord. Notice though, he goes from Egypt to this same place. It's as though he is retracing his steps. Where was the last time I heard from the Lord? And he goes back to the same place, to the very specific place. And what does he do? At the end of verse 4, in chapter 13, Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now, I think what you have to do is you have to interpret this, Abram's actions here, in light of the Egyptian episode, that he is being chased out of, out of Egypt. And I think what's going on is he's embarrassed. And he's running, running to, to God here. Where was the last place that God talked to me? After a disaster in Egypt, I think Abram's journey was back to this altar that he had offered a sacrifice on earlier. And he worshipped the God. It's very specific there. Where was the last place? And he's retracing his steps and he goes back to this same place. And, and there's a, the principle here is that genuine faith runs to God, runs back to God for refuge. Genuine faith is going to be like a compass. It's always going to be pointing north. You can move that around, you can shift that compass around, and that needle may spin a little bit, but it's always going to go north. Genuine faith is going to be a persevering faith to the point it's always going to be going back to God. That's just the way it is. Running back to God, and I think that's what we see. 
Um, I think Abram's feeling probably the same way that David was feeling when David was confronting about confronted about his sin. Uh, and, and you see this in Psalm chapter 51, Psalm chapter 32, just some significant Psalms. But I want to draw your attention to Psalm chapter 38. Psalm 38 is a just reading through this whole passage would be good. But just for the sake of time, I want you to notice some of the parallels here that you might see. My loved ones, verse 11, Psalm 38, verse 11, my loved ones and my friends stand aloof from me because of my plague. It's as though I have a disease. Nobody wants to come close. Nobody even wants to talk to me. Maybe Abraham's feeling that way. And my kinsmen stand afar off. He says uh, down in verse 17, for I am ready to fall. He's, he's teetering. And my sorrow is continually before me, for I confess my iniquity. That's it. He, he's, he's feeling that weight of guilt. He knows this. He says, I, I'm full of anxiety before my, because of my sin. And down in verse 21 and 22, this is, the, this is the part I want you to see. Do not forsake me, O Lord, my God. Do not be far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my Savior. I just believe that's probably what Abram's feeling right now. He's, he's running to the altar that he had built. Where can I commune with God? And I think that's what's going on here. He is, he is embarrassed. He had blown it with God. He might be saying, have I blown it to the point that God's never going to commune with me again? He's never going to talk with me again? He's feeling guilt, the weight of that sin laying on him. Maybe confusion, but probably brokenness. Just like David was, just broken before the Lord. I confess my sin before the Lord. And the idea maybe, has God forsaken me? Oh, Lord, I hope not. And he cries out, he calls out to the Lord. Maybe a little disillusionment, a little confusion. But I think it goes back to Abraham's training. This is what he was taught probably in maybe some of those discipleship uh, sessions with his, his fathers or forefathers. And again, it's like a compass. That's what godly people do. They're going to fall. Solomon says that a righteous man falls seven times. Seven times? Yeah, it doesn't matter because he just keeps getting up. He may fall again, but he's going to keep getting up. Abram has that kind of faith, always pointing toward God. The needle's always pointing north. And so he backtracks. He says, he goes back to where he, where he started. One of the places that he communed with God. Where do you run to, folks? Do you see God as a refuge? Do you run to Him? Um, or do you run someplace else? Can, can we run to Him and say, Oh Lord, I've blown it here. Oh Lord, help me here. This pornography is winning, Lord. This gluttony is overpowering me, Lord. This, this gossip is, is out of control. You need to take it from my life. This fear is, is paralyzing me. We go before the Lord and confess to the Lord and repent before the Lord. That's what true saving faith does. Especially when confronted with their own sinfulness. And I believe that's what you see here. That Abraham 
He knows he's blown it. And he finds the, the closest place, the, the, the best place that he can go. And, and he offers up to the Lord another sacrifice and calls upon the name of the Lord. I think that's a good example for us today. Where do you run to? Where do you run to? Instinctively, do you turn back to the Lord and repent? Oh, I have to do that daily. Daily. Let's go on. Number two, what we see in this passage is Abraham's new dilemma. There's always a new dilemma, isn't there? New dilemma concerning the land. And that's in verse 5. Look at verse 5, back in chapter 13. Now Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, and the land could not sustain them while dwelling together. Now that, that makes sense. They, they're getting too large, but if they separate, they would be able to have a better chance of, of uh, continuing to grow. For their possessions were great that they were not able to, to remain together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abraham's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. Now, the, And to throw it in, into the mix, you have the, the Canaanites and the Perizzites in the land as well. So sharing that land, kind of maybe fighting for territory here. Um, we're dwelling in the land. So Abram said to Lot, and this is where the character of Abram is coming to uh, the forefront. Please let there be no strife between you and me, nor between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you? I love that statement. We'll come back to that. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If to the right, then I will go to the left. If to the left, then I will go to the right. Let's just stop here. You see, Abraham's strong and robust now. He's he's numerous. He's he's grown. The Lord has blessed him with, uh, with flocks. And of course, then more servants to tend those flocks and it, it, more tents. It just keeps getting bigger and bigger. But also, I think what you see is, is spiritual growth and spiritual strength from Abraham as well. Overcrowding, uh, limited space, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, uh, also living in the land there. And, and they could not do it, it could not sustain together, so they had to split up. Um, had to spread out. Now that's a natural, that's a natural uh, conflict to have. In fact, it's a good problem to have, isn't it? It's something that that is really a blessing to be uh, to be growing like this and to to grow in wealth. And Abraham, I think, is recognizing God's hand on him, and I think you begin to see that. But now there's a risk in splitting, in dividing. There's a problem with that. When they remain together, there's, there's, a, there's a, a largeness there. And, um, and it would be intimidation to those who would rob them or maybe harm them in some way. They, they would be big and, um, and, and maybe even fortified. They would, there would be some security. But when you divide, then you're getting smaller and more vulnerable. And so there's some risk at doing this. But Abraham says in verse 9, is not the whole land before you? And I think in that one statement, is, it's just the fact that, that God has blessed us. 
Look, look at the land that Lord, the Lord has given us. And, and again, I think he's showing his dependence upon the Lord. It, it's an exercise of faith. He's recognizing God's blessing on him. And so he gladly gives the, the first pick to, to Lot. He allows Lot to, to share in this. Now, what you begin to see at this point is you begin to see God's hand here at work. Because God is orchestrating this division. Why is, why is God doing this? I think it's because Abram was the one of choice. Abraham was the one that God had chosen to establish the uh, Jewish nation. Not Lot. Um, Lot was Abraham's, uh, Abraham was Lot's senior here. And, but Abraham, on con, in contrast, was allowing Lot to, to choose first. He didn't have to do that. God had placed his hand on Abram. But this is an act of grace. I think that's what you see. It's an act of grace. This is, this is an attitude here that we need to develop today. It's an attitude of, you know, the Lord has blessed me. And it's, and it's obvious. I have a provider. Whether I'm rich or poor, the, the Lord's going to take care of me. Lot, you choose. That's a wonderful attitude. It's free to let Lot choose. There's a comfort now in Abraham's faith and, and dependence upon God's sovereignty in his life. I think that's what you see. And I think that's a wonderful principle of genuine faith. Genuine faith becomes comfortable depending upon God. Becomes comfortable depending upon God. That's what Abraham was doing here. It's feeling, feeling comfort and trusting in the sovereign hand of God. Now, I think that's, again, that's what we see, a principle that we see even in the New Testament is referred to today. I was surprised to hear this in Sunday school. The same principle, I think, um, that we see Abraham relying upon. And this is Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. Not that I speak... From want, for I have learned to be content with whatever circumstances I am in. Paul is saying, I've learned, learned to depend upon the sovereign hand of God. Whether I'm rich, whether I'm poor, you could look out the whole, look at the whole passage. That's all we'll read there. But the principle remains the same. Paul had become comfortable. But it's something that he had to learn. And it's a learning process just by the same thing that Abraham went through. Of getting out there and the Lord allowing the Lord to exercise that faith muscle on Abraham, I think, is just comfortable now. You know what? The Lord is, the Lord is going to provide for me. I have, a, I have a heavenly Father. I have a provider. Now, let's just apply this quickly. We live in a dog-eat-dog world. The world is, is not a gracious place. We have to get out there. And it seems like today you, you almost have to have two people in the household working just to provide, just to get by today. We have to work by the sweat of our brow. We have a world that is self-reliant and, and is forceful and taking advantage of everything and, and you know, clawing their way to the top and, and having this, this vicious attitude. In that kind of world, folks, we can be gracious we can be like Abraham and just be gracious. Why? Because we have a provider. The Lord's going to provide for us. We have a good shepherd. We shall not want. We know the Lord's going to Do we work hard? 
Do we, do we uh, go out there and apply ourselves? Yes. But we can also be gracious. An act of faith. Abraham was, was living by faith in God, in God's sovereignty. That's what faith, living by faith, does. That's what it produces. It produces a peace within us that says, you go first. Oh, it's okay. You know what? God's going to provide for me. I have a heavenly Father that's going to take care of me. I can give. I can provide. I can, I can help. So we have a heavenly Father that will take care of us. And, and I think you see that. A life of faith. That's what you're going to see. That's what you see with Abraham. Let's move on. We have Lot's decision concerning the land next. Verse 10, Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the valley of the Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. What does that have to do with anything? Well, in chapter 19, we'll read this story. This is 700 years earlier than from what Moses is writing. 700 years earlier, God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And it left a devastation on that whole area that the children of Israel may be looking at that area and say, boy, there's nothing lush about that area. It's all just desolate now. But before, it was, it was lush. It was beautiful. But God destroyed it because of their sinfulness. And he compares it to like the uh, garden of the Lord. That would have been the garden of Eden or like the land of Egypt as far as, as you go towards Zor. So Lot chose for himself all the valley of the Jordan. And Lot journeyed eastward. Notice the progression there. Thus, they separated from each other. This is the way it happened. Separation from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled in the cities of the valleys and moved his tent as far as Sodom. And we need to know something about Sodom here. Verse 13. Now the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly and sinning or sinners against the Lord. So we see the scenario here. Lot's choice. Lot's decision. Which way is he going to decide here? Um, he, um, he might be thinking, I, I don't know what was in Lot's mind or not giving anything, but maybe he wanted to get out of the shadow of his, his uh, uncle. I mean, this just gives him that opportunity. But it seems like he's leaning this way. He's leaning towards Sodom anyway. And I, I just want you to notice again the pro- progression here. Lot was didn't seem to be depending upon the Lord. He, he seemed to be depending upon his own sight. And that's what you see in verse 10. He lifted up his eyes and saw, saw the lush valley. Of the Jordan. He saw. And then in verse 11, what you see, the progression here, he, he journeyed toward the east. Oh, oh, look down there. And then you see him dwelling, his, his tent, and his tent was far, uh, not far from Sodom. Tent as far as Sodom. And he began to live in that city. In fact, by the time we get to chapter 19, now, this story of Sodom and Gomorrah, we see that, that Lot was living in Sodom. We don't know what happened to Lot much uh, during that time. But I, I do want to um, say 
that obviously this was not a good choice. This was fertile land, but it was masked by, by some um, dangers of Sodom and Gomorrah. It was an excellent choice from a, from a selfish standpoint, maybe from the worldly standpoint. It was a, a great choice, but ultimately, spiritually, it was not a good choice. And Lot's greed, it seems like, uh, for this lush valley was exposed and exposed him to the wickedness of Sodom. I like what John Calvin said. Even as he thought he was living in heaven, he had already sunk almost down to hell. That's pretty sobering. He was, he was not so careful with his decision. It, was, it was, seemed to be based upon just the lushness of the land. Now, maybe Lot was just naive. Maybe he was a little innocent here. And, and I would like to think so. Maybe he just didn't know that he would get sucked into this, this uh, world that he got sucked into. Maybe he thought, I'm a, I'm a strong guy. I'm strong enough to handle this. Maybe he's a little overconfident. Maybe he's saying to himself, I'm a big boy. I can handle this. I don't need Uncle Abram. I'm my own person. I can handle this. And he he just kind of uh, moves toward the ungodly, toward the, the wicked. And we don't know what he was thinking. But we do know by the time we get to chapter 19, he has to be rescued from this, from this city. And there's just a principle here. A principle that I want us to know, because this is concerning faith, um, that Satan is always there to lure us away from putting our faith in God. There's never time, and I wish it were so, (laughs) that we would grow in our faith so strong that we're never lured away. But we are. The Lord... I mean, Satan is there, always there, to to dangle this lure in front of our faith, but it has a hook on it that's going to grab us. And John says, do not love the world or anything in the world. I like what 1 Peter, I'm sorry, 2 Peter, 2 Peter gives us kind of a a glimpse into Lot's life. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 7, let me read this for you. And if he rescued righteous Lot, so, so... it wasn't that Lot wasn't righteous. Now, he was still a righteous man. Now, the wife that he chose, the children that he had, the lifestyle that he was moving toward, had questions. And if he rescued, that's God, rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by, and this is, this is Lot's life in this choice that he made, oppressed by sensual conduct of unprincipled men. Sensual conduct of boy, that's our day. If you are if you're trying to to be godly, you're going to be uh, you're going to have since that uh, that conflict oppressed. It says oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men. Verse eight, he says, for by what he saw and heard, that righteous lot or that righteous man, while living among them, this is in Sodom felt his righteous soul turmoiled day after day by the lawless by their lawless deeds his heart was churning constantly he would see these unrighteous acts 
It says, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from the, the temptation. Now, Lot was rescued and ultimately Lot was saved and God pulled him out of that. But he, he didn't seem to have the self-control to get out of it himself. And the Lord had to, to rescue him and to, to bring him out. There's a warning here, I believe, for us. Because so often, especially the church today, the church at large, seems to think we're much stronger, folks, than we really are. I don't think we're as strong. I don't think we're spiritually deep enough and theologically deep enough and biblically knowledgeable enough to handle the world. It's much more complex. We're much more naive than we should. We think to ourselves, oh, I can go on to that website. Or I can go to that place. That's no big deal. I have grace. God is, God is a God. He's going to judge my heart, not my actions. I can drink this. I can use that medication. I can say this. And that seems to be where things are going today. The Christian church. Those things are not going to affect me. I'm strong. Maybe that's the way Lot was thinking. I, I, I can control myself. And I think what it is is... It's the philosophy behind it. Philosophy behind a a lot of the things that are going on. It's the philosophy that comes first, that we kind of buy into the philosophy first. It's not so much the the beer uh, commercial with the the beer on it, but the philosophy behind the beer. And what we see, well, Netflix today. Let's, let's just pick on Netflix. There's a whole philosophy behind Netflix. Um, and it's, it, it's a philosophy of reconstructing our, or reconstructing our society. Now, even, I'm not talking about the, the bad stuff on Netflix. Even the good stuff is, is twisted in such a way as to confuse and demoralize some, sometimes. And, and uh, reconstruct, if you will, the, the Bible. So much so that we are... We are being uh, renewed, not to the Word of God, but our minds are being renewed to the world. And, and there's a whole philosophy that we buy into before we look at the naked bodies on Netflix. In fact, it's not so much about the naked bodies. I mean, we could probably handle that in our own, uh, uh, you know, fleeing from, from lust. But it, we buy into the philosophy way before we get to that point. And I think that we, we don't even realize it. that We buy into the philosophy of the world and our minds are being renewed to the world's standards. And we're forgetting completely about God's standards. And, and, and it comes by way of what's cool, what's acceptable, what's, what's okay morally. Well, that makes sense. And it really is just a, more of a pragmatic life, not a principle-driven life. A life of pragmatics. And I think that's Lot's decision. Just pragmatics. And he gets sucked in. And before you know it, he's living in Sodom. Has to be rescued by his uncle out. Now, so we see genuine faith runs to God. Like a compass turning north runs to God. Genuine faith is comfortable then. Becomes comfortable depending upon the sovereignty of God. And then we, we see there's always that lure. Satan is constantly fishing, folks, constantly throwing in your face a lure with a hook on it. And he's just waiting for us to to grab hold. 
But what we have to remember that life, that uh, faith is a lifestyle. Faith is not a one-time act, but it's a constant dependent upon, dependence upon the Lord. We have to remember that. Um, are you walking with the Lord? Aram's walking with the Lord here. Are you exercising faith in God? Or are you more comfortable with the world than you are with the church? Mm. Do we need to run back to God? Do we need to retrace our steps and go back to God, fall on our face, fall before the altar of the Lord and confess and ask for forgiveness to the Lord? Abraham is a good example, I think, of, of faith. A man of faith. He trusted the Lord to give him this land. And the Lord is, is doing that. And you begin to see Abraham's faith just begin to shine more and more. It's a wonderful thing to see that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, Lord, as your word has gone forth, I pray that it would work in hearts as clumsily as it has gone forth. Lord, we know we have confidence not in my ability, but in your word's ability to work in hearts. Lord, teach us. Make us sensitive to, to your word. And Lord, make us want to abhor the things of the world. Not love the things of the world. Not flirt and, and lean in toward the world. But Lord, keep us from worldliness. We know we have to be in the world. Lord, keep us from the love of the world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.